I am so excited to be able to introduce our guest speaker, Pastor Wayne Francis, to all of you today. Um, Wayne uh, is someone that, that I've heard about. Uh, uh, he, he says that as it concerns me as well. For a number of years, we've kind of known about each other. Wayne pastors the Life Church in Westchester County, New York, and, but we'd never met until actually during COVID, uh, we, uh, we uh, had a socially distanced outdoor meal together. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where there was just uh, a, a click, you know. And since then, we've, we've have been together a couple of times uh, in other social settings. And uh, there's a wonderful friendship that's developing that's already really meaningful to me. Uh, Wayne is a, a highly sought-after speaker. He is uh, speaking at conferences in huge churches all over the country and, and more. And um, it, it really, when our staff had an opportunity to speak about who they'd like to have for our 29th anniversary, it was unanimous. Do you think there's any way we could get Wayne Francis? And I said, probably not, but I'll text him. And uh, I want all of you to give Wayne Francis a great big, like the place is packed. TLCC, welcome today. What's up, everybody? 29 years, party people, we in here. What an honor it is to be here with all of you, this wonderful church. First, let me shout out my friend, Pastor Terry and Sharon, what an amazing couple that have shepherded you for 29 years. Como se dice, that's faithfulness. Can y'all give your pastor a round of applause and his family that have sacrificed so much. And I also want to celebrate all of the volunteers that have served here, some that are still here and others that are just joining our family here as a church. You guys have cleaned the bathrooms and vacuumed and helped people park their cars and dealt with our children. Oh, Lord, hello. To all of our volunteers that have made TLCC get to this moment, I want to celebrate you. Thank you so much. No church is successful without great volunteers. So I want to thank you. And I can tell you that I have loved having a friendship with Pastor Terry and Sharon. This is so great, man. They are cool people. My goodness, man. And look at all of y'all just looking all good behind your mask and all this kinds of stuff. Just a bouquet of nationalities. I can tell you, I started a church about 10 years ago from scratch. It ain't easy to do that in this area, particularly to have such a state-of-the-art facility here that is just beautiful. You ought to feel very, very proud. This is an iconic church in this area, in this New York metro area, and it ain't easy. This is one of the reasons why there ain't a bunch of people coming to start churches in this area. And when they do, they leave really fast to go to North Carolina. So <laughs> it's real for me too, people. I'm telling you what, I can tell you that um, our church, we, we, we have the same exodus at times that happens. My iPad is like trying to be disobedient and it doesn't want to turn. There it goes. I was about to start rebuking Steve Jobs or whatever was making my, 
my, my iPad not work. So you guys excited to be in church today? And to our online audience, I'm so glad that you're joining us. Thank you for all of you that have come out today. We're going to go to the Old Testament book called Joshua. Joshua is lodged in the Old Testament. It's a book about transition and trajectory, sort of like what we're dealing with right now. It's a really awesome book about the Jewish people moving their lives forward from their captivity and wilderness wanderings. And today we're going to go to chapter 3 and begin there and then make our way through it. And hopefully I can help you grow spiritually, regardless of what you believe about the Bible, regardless of where you land spiritually today. I think all of us are going to press in to these ancient words from modern people and find some life. Isn't that exciting? All right, so... Yeah, yeah, you can clap for that. So, 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 so then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim. You don't want to pronounce that the wrong way in a life group. <laughs> and they came <laughs> to the Jordan. He and all the people of Israel lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. For the next few moments, I want to help you guys with a very simple sermon that will help us celebrate our 29 years of doing ministry and lunge us forward toward our purpose toward our 30th year. And I'm going to preach about how you can cross the line. Now, a lot of y'all know how to cross the line. Mama, show y'all how to cross the line in a biblical way, all right? Are you ready? Let's open up our hearts big and wide to God. I'm going to say a prayer. God, bless this message. In Jesus' name, amen. How do you like that? That was pretty, pretty good. Hey, there have been a few times in my life where I've noticed some strange behavior from people at dinner, lunch, or brunch. I want to say that I'm very excited today that it's November 1st, which means we're closer to Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Some of y'all ain't about that Thanksgiving life. I see it already, but I am, okay? I am looking forward to having a gluttonous time with my family, eating food. But it seems like there's some people that have a strange pattern. Now, me and my family, we're not bougie. We get our food. We put it on a plate, man. We just pile everything on top of it, indiscriminate, man. We just put everything on it, especially when I go to my mom's house or my mother-in-law's house, and I get that Jamaican food, some of the oxtail and some of the rice and peas and fried dumpling and some cabbage and thing. You understand what I say, man? Yeah, big up to all of the Jamaican them. Online and in the audience right now. Big up. <laughs> We're indiscriminate when we put our food on the plate. But for a person like my friend Brian who passes in Long Island, he doesn't see the world that way. In fact, he has a disorder. Brian can't allow his food to touch each other on a plate. The salad dressing can't touch the chicken. The macaroni and cheese can't touch the rice. The, the, the salmon can't touch the asparagus on his plate. He has it so bad that he told me that he cannot cut a piece of steak on a plate with other food on it because the juice might run out and touch other food. 
He can't have any food on the same plate. Some people struggle with this in the auditorium and those joining us online. There are people that have it so severe that they literally cannot have two different types of food in their mouth at one time as they chew. Now for people that don't have the same culinary status like these people, people like me and you, we just have one phrase to say, you ain't hungry. You can't be hungry if you cannot allow food to touch each other on a plate. He says that he cannot distinguish food the right way if one food touches another and the slight transfer makes the food taste different. Okay, buddy. Well, to me, it's a disorder. And actually, to others, I actually looked it up. The official term for this is called brumotactilophobia, the fear of food touching. People have this. Some people have it in a severe way. They can't even text their friends what they're eating about without putting spaces between their food emojis. It's bad, people. People who have this phobia simply like to have control over their food and enjoy every part of the meal separately. If it looks different from the way they want it to look, they say, I can't eat it. If there's the slightest transfer of flavor from one food to another, it makes it indistinguishable for them. Well, our text brings us to the plight of the Jewish people who are now under new leadership and they are about to head into the promised land, this land that was told to them by their forefathers. And they're so excited that they'll no longer be gypsies. They'll no longer have this nomadic reality. But as they're making their way to their promise, they encounter the River Jordan and it is a formidable obstacle. What are they supposed to do now, being so close to their promise, but yet so far? And what's interesting is that later in the text, the Bible tells us that it's during the harvest season when the Jordan is overflowing its banks, making it even more scary to try to go over. Well, in the opening section of this book, God seems to give Joshua and his people one repetitive command. Be strong. Be courageous. I'm with you. Keep moving forward. I I am with you. Do not fear. But there's so much pressure. Joshua has heard five words that have changed his entire reality. Moses, my servant, is dead. And now he's going to be the one that has to lead all these people forward. Have you ever gotten some momentum in your life only to encounter an obstacle? Have things ever been going good in your life and in your marriage and all of a sudden an argument just makes things go totally awry? Have you, have you ever gotten to the place where your finances are just getting in order and your roof decides not only do you need a shower in your bathroom, you need one in your living room as well? We've all been in places where we've been stuck in a dead-end job, stuck in a toxic relationship, stuck in an apartment that we want to get out of. None of us like being stuck. And yet Joshua is thinking, how am I going to get all these people over this body of water? Men, women. Toddlers, can I get an amen to, from some of the parents here? But instead of looking for a go around, Joshua gives some instruction to the people. He tells them, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourselves because tomorrow the Lord is going to do wonders among you. Now, consecrate is not a word that we often use in our common vernacular and our day-to-day -day vocabulary. The Hebrew implications of this word means to be set apart to be dedicated for the exclusive use of the Lord. Now, 
I don't believe that God struggles or suffers from brumotactilophobia. Thank goodness. But I do believe that there's times where God looks down at his church, his people, his called out assembly, and he looks at us like one of those cool kitty plates back in the days. <laughs> Y'all know about these. There are times where God says, I am going to use you in such an exclusive and special way to cross a different line, a different barrier, a different place that I'm going to need you to separate from some things that you're accustomed to touching. I'm going to have to get you apart from some ways and some thinking. I'm going to have to get you out of some routines and stubborn habits. I'm going to have to get you away from some patterns because when I get to use you in an exclusive way, I'm going to make you impact the world. But there's certain things that you can't touch and that you can't be a part of. And here we are. Courage has taken us 29 years to stay committed to not go to North Carolina. <laughs> However, it's courage that has gotten us to our 29th year, but it won't take us necessarily only to our 30th year. In order for us to move forward, I feel like the same text that we're reading about these ancient Jews, they needed to have a season of special preparation. And I feel like echoing those same words to our church today, TLCC, that God wants to prepare us for a special decade and time before us. And courage took us to the line, but consecration is going to make us cross it. That if we're ever going to move forward, it's not our talent, not our ability alone, not our gifting, but it's going to be consecration. And for many of us, maybe you're starting to bristle when you hear this word because you equate it with being obnoxious. And for those of us that are not Christians yet, thank you for being with us or joining us online. You're not sure where you land in your faith yet. Maybe one of the reasons why you don't like Christians is because they seem so separated and they seem so out of touch. Well, please stick with us for a little bit longer because you're going to learn how you can be a part of a wonderful community moving forward in a way that will surprise you. And I want to tell you today that if you are reaching obstacles, you can read the scriptures that will help you. But there's another book that I read recently that will help you grow as well. It's by this guy named Ryan Holiday. It's called The Obstacle is the Way, the Timeless Art of Turning Adversity into Advantage. And when I hit adversity, I usually want a shortcut. I'm going to try to get through that joker fast. I'm Googling, how do I get out of this today? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's me. But he says sometimes the longest way around is the shortest way home. Now, I pride myself on not having to use the GPS more than once. We were driving here today. I'm like, next time I come over here to hang out with Pastor Terry and Sharon, I'm doing this by myself. I don't need no Siri and I don't need no ways. I don't need maps. I'm just going to come on my own. I pride myself on only having to go someplace once. I look for landmarks and I figure it out. Well, we recently had this storm in New York. I don't know if it affected New Jersey, but it knocked out all the power, all the running water, all of that stuff, and it was horrible. We ended up having to stay eight days at a neighbor's house of one of our friends. Como se dice, staying at somebody's house for eight days ain't cool. It's not. But we were going out for dinner one night, and my friend told me, he said, hey, man, we're going to go away. We've never been before. There's going to probably be some trees down and all this stuff. I'm like, man, I got this. I've been to Tredici to eat. I know how to get there. Turns out that as we're going, big old tree down. We have to make a U-turn. I end up following him. And as we're following him, I'm like, why didn't he make the left there? Why didn't he make the right over? Man, this guy, we could have did this and got home much faster. And yet for all, my gut was screaming, I know the way to go. 
But he told me that you need to follow me if we end up encountering an obstacle. You see, sometimes in life, it's better to follow instructions than it is to follow your instinct. And sometimes we always have this mindset that we're right. Our mindset is always determined by where we let our mind sit. And that's why you've got to be a person that is so open to following instructions. Here's what happens in the text. Giving these instructions to the people, when you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Real quick, the ark of the covenant was this piece of furniture where the presence of God would dwell. And God said to his people, when you see the presence of God and the people moving, get out of your position and start moving forward. Ladies and gentlemen, we have never been to this place before. This hand sanitized, mask laden, COVID fear driven culture that we're in right now. We've never been here before. But in order for us to move forward, it's not going to be our own ability. It's not going to be because we follow our own instinct. It's going to be when we decide to follow the presence and the people of God together. It's not one or the other. It's both. It's both. I, I'm a cyclist and I love riding my bike with a bunch of other people. It's only the reason why men should ever wear spandex, okay? So... <laughs> So, so, so I love riding my bike and there's a process when you're riding with others that it's called drafting, where you align your tire very close behind the person in front of you so that you exert less energy and that you go further faster. But it requires a lot of trust because you're following somebody and you cannot see the future. So if you're like me, I don't trust nobody. So when I'm riding, I'm doing this. looking over the person because I'm not sure they're going to point out the bumps. We do the same thing spiritually. We want to control where we're going and we're constantly moving ourselves out of alignment. But if we decided to follow God closely with just enough distance so that we don't crash, we actually use less energy, less effort, less fear, less concern because he's pulling us forward. I want to be a person that's in the draft line following God closely so I can move forward. See, some of y'all ain't clapping to that, and that was good. You want to know why? You got that Peloton spirituality. <laughs> I love Pelotons. I want one. But the thing about Pelotons is they're locked in. It's simulated writing. You may be getting a sweat, but you're not aligning with anybody else. It's a form of exercise, but it's not moving you forward. Some of us are so locked into our positions and to our worldview, into our logic model, into our political parties, into this and that. And God's saying, if you want to move forward, you've got to get out of your position and get aligned with me and the people of God moving in the right direction. That's what it's about. See, Joshua said, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. That word has a stem root meaning, which means personal responsibility, that you've got to consecrate yourself. Pastor Terry can't consecrate you. You can't consecrate your husband. I know you want to. 
You can't consecrate your wife. You can't consecrate your roommate. You can't consecrate anybody else but your own person. And so Paul, that New Testament leader that started churches, and then he wrote letters to those churches to help them grow spiritually, letters that are now included in the Bible's New Testament. He speaks to a church that was sort of like Jerry Springer shows on steroids, the, the, the people in Corinth. And he tells them, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. It's personal duty that makes us get separated and consecrated to God. Now, for many of us, we would say we want to be like God, right? Yeah, usually we only want to be like God so that we can know everybody else's business and have our own kingdom and get worshipped ourselves, right? Like we have our own sinister reasons on why we want to be like God. And I had to ask myself, just like I'd like to ask you and our audience online, do you want to be holy? Do you want to be consecrated? I had to ask myself that question at first. I'm going to just keep it 100 with y'all. I was like, no. Because I had such a meaning for that that was baked into my DNA of what that meant. It meant no fun. It meant not being happy. I grew up in a church culture that was totally different from the one that you guys have. Y'all all nice. You got this building and lights and Pastor Terry coming up here with the nice, you know, blazer and stuff like that. You know, the, 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 the Smiths just look all good. You know, they're just fine, right? I didn't grow up in church like that, all right? Pray for me. My therapist says I'm doing much better, but obviously I still have some anger. Okay, so when I hear the word holy, I think like you can't go to movie theaters or, you know, you couldn't have a TV in your home. You had to wear certain things to church and it meant you couldn't do this. And you went to church for like nine hours every single day. And like God didn't want you to enjoy sunshine, right? It's like, don't enjoy sunshine, my son. You'll smile. Like, you know... <laughs> That was my church experience. See, y'all are laughing because y'all didn't have the scars. I thought I was more holy than, I got a couple of church people that are like, no, that was me. All right, so, so let me show you my church experience, man. I go on vacation and not even be happy. How you going to be on vacation and not be happy? So I thought we were holier than everybody else. Here goes our family picture with me in sweatpants in the pool in Florida and a t-shirt and my wife in a jean skirt. Now, now look at my little baby girl at the top. She's like, my parents are weird. <laughs> She's like, I hate this. Look at her face. She's miserable. Think about the person that took this picture. Like, oh my God, honey, there's really black Amish people. This is... <laughs> you can laugh at that. That's a multicultural joke, all right? We're in a metro area. If we had more of this laughing, we'd be in a better place in our country, all right? So... so so, so look, man, that's not holiness. Holiness is being set apart for God's exclusive purposes so that we can make a difference in an onlooking world, in our community, in our marriage, in our families, that God is expecting us to be normal but also supernatural at the same time, impacting the world. And look, it takes consecration to do that. And guess what? Consecration is never convenient. You're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and just say, consecrate me, consecrate me now, like with jazz hands. And if you are, you're weird, okay? You can, you can stretch your hands toward me and pray for me. Consecration takes concentration. You got to put your mind into it. Every single day, we all have to have a slot and a spot and a strategy to have our connection with God. A, a slot of time, a spot where we can connect with him that's undistracted and a strategy. Things that we need to pray about. 
But consecration also requires preparation. We got to prepare ourselves because God wants to use us to do big things. And he says, if you just separate yourself for a little while, I'm going to use you exclusively to impact your world, which means that God always prepares a people before he distributes a people. And that's where we're poised at. God wants to distribute our church in a big, big way in this coming season. And what is he doing on our 29th anniversary? He's saying, I want to use you now. Consecration must have expectation. The Jewish people were supposed to look forward to God doing something wonderful in their lives. They were supposed to expect it. It was not something that would not have reciprocity. God says, if you do this act of worship, I will do the wonders. It is not a work. We cannot get God in a full Nelson and try to get him to bless us. God already wants to bless us more than we want to be blessed. Courage takes us to the line, but consecration makes us cross it. Now, my wife, I can't wait for you to meet her. She's tall. She's statuesque. She's gorgeous, man. But, but, but when she gets upset, she, she talks like a, a 1980s black valley girl. You, you know what I'm saying? She'd been on my case for a while. Like, babe, I need you to get us a generator because we like lose power around here a lot. We need a generator. And I'm like, we ain't spending that money on it now. And then what happened? Storm. <laughs> Neighbor's house. Eight days. She looked over at me and I said, I know. We should have got a generator. <laughs> When we got back in our house, a guy came over to fix some things, and he said, hey, man, not everybody lost power in their neighborhood. I said, I know. Other people have generators. He said, no, 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 that's not it only. He said, you got power lines that are connected to your house. Why don't you consider doing something expensive? Take those down and run them underground where nobody can see them and where the weather can't affect it. And I thought, oh, my God, it's cheaper to get a generator. <laughs> <laughs> but his point was right there are times in life where God is trying to prepare his people to take his power and hide it in places where nobody else can see it and when it's hidden in a place that nobody else can see it, the elements in the environment can't impact it. What am I saying to you, TLCC? God is trying to get us to get some consecration hidden in places in our life that nobody else can see it. But when the storms of life hit us, I can tell you, you won't lose power when everybody else does. You'll have something moving on the inside of you and on the outside because you took the time to get a generator of a different source. Because courage will take you to the line, but it's only consecration that'll make you cross, cross it. See, every single time something big happened in the kingdom of God, there was preparation. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. And then Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days so that he could face his greatest temptation. And then Jesus sent his disciples away and told them to pray and to worship and to prepare for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We are in a special season, 29 years of ministry. And what I want to say to you is as we get 
ready to head into our 30th and 35th. It's going to take a people that, that, that are consecrated in our personal lives that when we gather like this on a Sunday and when we're distributed all throughout the week, there is a presence and power of God that goes with us that does amazing things. And maybe you're a person that hasn't traditionally spent a lot of time doing your own personal consecration. Well, let me say something to you. You can be a disciple of Jesus and not pray and not fast and not consecrate. You just won't stay a disciple of Jesus that way. It's important for us to have our own dedication. At one point, Jesus' disciples were getting criticized because they were kind of different. And some people came along and they said, hey, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so did the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus told them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. I love inserting myself in scripture sometimes because it just makes me laugh myself, and it helps me bring some color to the scriptures. So in Matthew 10, God, Jesus, he, he sends his disciples out, and it takes a lot of courage for them to go do this. If I was standing there on that day, I don't know if I'd have that kind of courage. Think about it. Jesus is telling his disciples, look, I'm sending you out. Why am I speaking like, you know, like Morgan Freeman when it comes to trying to do it? Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. I'd be the dude that's like, did Jesus just say wolves? We going out with there some wolves out? Jesus goes, hey, beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips. And when you are arrested, and I would just say, hold up, so we're going to catch a case now to do ministry? Like, I just came out of court. Like, I'm... <laughs> Only people that caught a case will be laughing about that online. I feel you. He says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. And once he said that, I'd be like, I'm finding me a new rabbi, peace. Ain't nobody going to kill this body. I got bills, right? Like, like that's how I would read the scriptures. But they, they went because they had courage. But they encountered this young guy who has demonic activity. His father brings him to the disciples, hoping that they could get a cure. But they can't cast out the demons so the guy goes to Jesus and says, hey, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. They were courageous, but they hit an obstacle. They come to Jesus later and say, what happened? I mean, we were doing all this amazing stuff. What's going on? And Jesus says in one sentence something so powerful. This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. In other words, you got courage. Now you need to couple it with some consecration. And there is a world that's going to be bringing all types of issues and drama and PTSD from our political situation, from coronavirus. And what they need to do is to encounter a church that's not only courageous, but a church that's consecrated. A church that has taken the time to connect with the nature of God and to be endued with his power because we took 10 minutes out of our morning before we started commuting to say, God, you are the primary person in my life. It's going to be because there's a group of people that decided to disconnect from our own nature and to subdue the power of the flesh in our own life to say, God, I surrender my kingdom to the feet of Jesus. And when that happens, when people bring their issues and bring their problems, when we reopen and this building is filled again, they won't just see a 
church that's courageous after 29 years, they will feel the power of a church that has been consecrated. 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 I feel God's presence in this room so deeply. I want to say to some of us today, regardless of where you land spiritually right now, it's been a rough, tough year. I know financially it's been hard. I know emotionally it's been hard. I know not having community in the way that you've had community before is hard. But can I say something to you today? I feel like God's hand is hovering on our church, saying I want to use you exclusively to do something that has never been done before in this region and in your life. Many of us have things that we've been holding on to for a long time, habits and hang-ups and fears and concerns. Can I tell you today that there is a hand of the Lord on our church to move us into a new phrase, phase. Now, look, th there were a number of traveling exorcists in the Bible. They were practicing in this place called Ephesus. And Luke, who was a doctor that also wrote some scripture for us in the New Testament, tells us about this guy named Siva and his sons. They're walking around and they have some measure of success in calling out evil spirits out of people. And here's what happens. A group of Jews were traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits, and they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation. <laughs> they had success and they got enough courage and then they come up and they say, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches to come out that's how I hear it in my head but the evil spirit replied I know Jesus and I know Paul but who are you because the truth is you can copy somebody's courage but you cannot copy their consecration that's why we've got to consecrate ourselves because there is no facsimile for somebody else's prayer life. You can't walk up to somebody and say, I command you on Pastor Terry's prayer life to come out. Not gonna happen. We've got to have our own consecration. Now, I am still struggling with how in the world can you call NASCAR a sport? People driving around at 100 miles an hour in a circle should not be a sport. I'm just saying, don't at me, don't email me. If you want to email me, you're upset. Let me give you my email address right now. It's no reply at thelifechurch.com. <laughs> but there's something interesting in NASCAR culture. It's called pole position. Pole position is that favorable position at the start of an automobile race, typically allowing the person to get the front row in front of his competitors or her competitors. The pole position is most often awarded to the driver with the fastest quality time, qualifying time, but it increases their probability to win the race. I want to say to you on your 29th year of being a church in this community, God has given us pole position. Woo! Can I preach it to you for the last two minutes that I got? I want to let you know that God has given us pole position, baby. We're not going to lose in this race. I know that there's media saying that the world is going under. No, God's about to do something great. He set the stage for his church to have pole position to move forward. All he's asking is, will you separate yourself a little bit? 10 minutes out of the day, 15 minutes out of the day, 20 minutes out of the day. Separate yourself and see if I don't do something exclusive and amazing in you. God always distributes a people that is 
is prepared. Is there anybody online or in this room that's saying, yes, I have courage that will get me to the line, but I'm realizing I need consecration to get me deeper in my relationship with God. Is there anybody in this room that's saying today, God, I want to see you do wonders. God, I want to see you do wonders in my marriage, in my family, in my finances, in my job, in my habits, in my hangups, in my life. Come on, everybody, if you believe that, through your mask, why don't you just give God a praise request and say, God, use me. Do wonders in me. Do wonders through me. Do wonders in my church. Here's to 29 years, but God, I want to see it over the next 29 years. I want to see it over the next 29 days. I want to see it over the next 29 weeks. Put your hands together, everybody online as well, as we celebrate what God's doing in our church. Let's get it. Come on.